0: Hello, I'm Erica LaCasse, and this is the Messy Messianic Mama podcast. Today, we'll be talking about Yom Kippur. Stick around for some hope, healing, and maybe even some laughs. Welcome once again to another Messy Messianic Mama podcast. It is the 3rd of October, 2022. Happy fall, y'all, as my daughters cringe if they're listening, Today's Torah portion is called Ha'azinu, which means listen. You can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 1 through 52 and Second Samuel chapter 22 verses 1 through 51 is the half Torah portion. And then you have the Brit Hadashah, which is John chapter 6 verses 26 to 35. I'm going to try my best to speak slowly, but there's a lot to get through and I want to make sure that I, I give... Yom Kippur it's due. And as you know, I like to read from a few different sources. Uh, like I did last year, I'm going to read a little bit of The Complete Guide to Celebrating Messiah in the Festivals by Susan Mortimer. And I'm also going to read from the book that I read from last week, The Jewish Way, Living the Holidays by Rabbi Irving Greenberg, which was very enlightening to kind of get a Jewish perspective. Some may or may not agree with that. That's up to you. So, for those of you who do not know, give you a little bit of background. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. It's one of the feasts that the Lord commands us to observe. And it's not a Jewish holiday, it is one of the feasts of the Lord. Yom Kippur means Day of Atonement. It means, K- Kippur means covering and refers to covering sins so that the Israelites might continue to approach the Lord with sacrifices and offerings. The day of atonement, Yom Kippur, falls on the 10th day of the seventh month of the sacred calendar, Tishri. Typically, it's September or October. God commanded rest from the evening of the 9th of Tishri to the evening of the 10th. The Sabbath of Sabbaths, was the day atonement would be made for the most holy place, the tent of meeting, the altar, and the priests, and then for the nation. To kind of get more of a breakdown of what Yom Kippur that entailed, I encourage you to open up your own Bibles and read Leviticus 16, because that gives instructions for the atonement sacrifices. And they have a a whole list of things that they would do, the priestly duties and things that they would do every single Yom Kippur. I also, yeah, I spoke about this in my last podcast from last year on Yom Kippur. So I encourage you to, if you want to, you know, go back there and see if maybe you can figure out some things. I wanted to read a little bit of uh, little portions of the Jewish way. And I thought it was very interesting. They talk about, you know, obviously it's about repentance. Repentance is a really big thing during this time. And I wanted to read this to you and then kind of tell you a little bit of a story about what happened today. Because remember, I actually record this a day in advance of what happened myself that kind of really brought this to light for me. Where the Holy Spirit was like, this is a really good time for you right now to be repenting. (laughs) Okay. People are more apt to turn to God thanks to the mood of this period, a.k.a. Yom Kippur. In the face of death and trial, many self-deceptions fall away. People review acts of the previous year and try to correct their sins. Wrongs done to fellow humans are of particular concern. Yom Kippur does not bring forgiveness for them unless the injured person gets restitution and forgives the one who has sinned against him. Special time should be set aside both for self-evaluation and for seeking out people to make amends. During the year, typically, family members inflict more pain on one another than on any outsiders. Can I get an amen? Closeness means that it is easier to cause pain and that more opportunities for friction are present. So families should review basic relationships and living procedures and seek forgiveness, amendment and reconciliation. One of the blessings of Yom Kippur is that on this day forgiveness comes to us from a force beyond ourselves as well. As the Torah says in Leviticus 16:30, "On this day God will make atonement for you to purify you from all your sins." Yom Kippur was a day on which the mysterious scapegoat ritual took place. The high priest confessed the sins of the children of Israel over the scapegoat, which symbolically carried the sins away into the desert. The ritual suggested that the community with God's help could purge guilt as no one person could. But we as Messianic believers know that there was one person that could, right? But while community could intensify the individual's experience of forgiveness, one day was hardly enough for any individual to change deeply integrated behavior. I mean, how many of you can attest to this with your own story in life, right? How many times have we, as people I know for myself, there have been many times where I have a destructive behavior that I want to change, but it's not something that I'm able to change overnight. Now, with the help of Yeshua, yes, all things are possible, and it absolutely is is something that could happen overnight. But the reality is, for most of us, it's something that takes a long time to change. Typically, these type of behaviors are learned behaviors and they are consistently done. These sins are are things that we have in our lives that are deeply rooted. And so it's very difficult to rip those roots out, right? It's almost like, you know, my mom told me, You know, she actually was a a chain smoker back in the day before she had my sister and I, and she and my uncle just decided to quit cold turkey and they did. And honestly, I'm very impressed because honestly, that does not happen very often. How many people could say that they actually know somebody who quit smoking cold turkey and never picked up smoking again? It's a very hard thing to do. Teshuva means repentance or turning. It's a process, not a single act. For most people, transformation takes time and occurs gradually, as we all know. So don't beat yourself up if it's not an immediate change. You know, Adonai could reveal something in your life that he wants you to change. But it doesn't mean that it's going to be instantaneous. So don't beat yourself up if it is a process. In my mind, there's a lot more learning going on if there is a process. Understanding teshuva, you know, repentance or turning, there are three key elements in achieving it. One could call them the three R's of repentance. So if you have an opportunity, you want to write these down. I actually thought this was really good. I myself wrote it down. And uh, you can hear me turning the page. The three R's of repentance. The first one is regret. Regret is articulating the wrong... Regret, you need to have confession. There is great stress on the role of confession. Articulating the wrongful behavior provides relief from the guilt that traps people into continuing the pattern. I'm not talking about going to a Catholic church and confessing to a priest. The first person you need to confess to is Adonai. The second person you might want to confess to is maybe the person that you have wronged. Or a trusted friend or confidant. Admission is perhaps the most difficult step in repentance, for there is an infinite human capacity for inertial evil and self-justification, and it is just plain painful to admit that one has done wrong. Psychologically, the sinner feels that he or she has gone on a road from which there is no turning back because one cannot betray what has already been done, because too much has been invested, because no one will be shamed, and because one has gone too far. But God promises you can and shall return. Deuteronomy 32. 30 verse 2, I should say. Making the admission openly represents a commitment not to back away from the liberating insight. I don't know about you, but there's there was a time in my life where I felt like I had turned from God so, so far that I did not feel like there was any redeeming me. And I thank the Lord that I had praying parents and a praying grandmother who I think helped turn the tide and Adonai speaking through them and other people planting seeds in my life to help me recognize that through Yeshua, there is forgiveness. The second step is rejection to stop doing the wrong thing. No amount of regret will help if the sinning continues because action overwhelms intention In Jewish tradition, although I thought it was funny when I read that, I'm like, man, I say that all the time. In fact, my husband gets really mad when I do, because it, well, not really mad, but he, I think, has heard it so many times. It just is like, all right, seriously, stop saying it. Actions speak louder than words. The third is resolution. A strong determination not to do it again. Habit is very powerful. Even if one changes, it is all too easy to slip back into an old pattern. It takes resolution and ongoing effort to structure new behavior a lot of times i know for like um recovery centers and things they actually encourage you sometimes not all time but to replace one habit with another so replace a bad habit with a good habit so if smoking was one of your addictions instead of smoking i heard one was uh actually replacing the cigarette with a carrot (laughs) (laughs) I guess you can't get healthier than that, right? Repentance is not a momentary recoil or tiredness, but a basic turning to a new way of life. It is an act of great merit to help people repent, to encourage them in their new ways. And that I think is, is true as well. How many times are we afraid to share what's going on in our lives because we're afraid of the rejection, we're afraid of the judgment. But I think that's why it's so important to hopefully have somebody in your life that you are able to feel safe enough with to confess these things to. But first and foremost, like I said before, you need to f- confess to God. And yes, he is all-knowing, but you know what? I think it's a good thing for you to have that open communication between your creator. Yom Kippur is Liberation Day. It brings freedom from the crushing isolation of guilt. Leviticus 16.30 You'll be purified from all your sins before God. Yom Kippur does more than lift the burden of evil. Forgiveness alone would leave the individual still alienated. This is the day of atonement, which means restoration to the wholeness of community and roots. It means a new reconciliation and a new unification of impulses and values of individual and community and of God and the human. And I think that's very important for us to see as well. It's not just about repentance, it's about atoning for it as well. So Yom Kippur is a day of dazzling paradoxes. Israel stands before God, united as a community of sinners, publicly admitting the universal evil in all, yet expecting and experiencing forgiveness and the purging of guilt through confession and mutual acceptance giving themselves over to the realm of death, which knows no eating, drinking, or sexuality. We emerge with renewed meaning in life. All day is spent in prayer and fasting. Yet the Haftarist theme is that God wants no prayer or fasting unless it leads to justice, to freeing the oppressed and feeding the hungry. Many Jews assume that only Christianity focuses on grace and on the merits of another sacrifice for their behavior. But in biblical times, temple worship had strong sacramental overtones. Hence the sacrificing of the the goats, right? Of course, the closeness of the end of the trial tremendously heightens consciousness of one's sins, faults, and failures on Yom Kippur. Remember I talked about this last week, how... um, the Jewish people, a lot of a lot of religions actually see uh, the end times when you when you die and before you go to heaven you stand trial, right? And so the same is true for the Jewish belief as well. Still, after having gone through so much guilt and self-criticism for ten to forty days, what can one do for an encore? The answer is to plunge into death itself and come out again to a new life. There are two important insights that Yom Kippur's encounter with death gives beyond the experience of Rosh Hashanah or the days of penitence. One is the discovery that a broken heart or faith or love is stronger than a never broken one. The confirmed sinner is afraid to turn back. The sinner lives in dread that once he or she lets go and admits the failure, his or her whole life will fall apart. Many also fear that once there has been a serious breakdown, even atonement cannot restore the original wholeness. And I think that that's really true. I myself have experienced that. I don't know if you have as well. You know, I talked about that before. We're afraid. We're afraid to move on to what, how our lives would change if we were to confess our sins. The man who wrote this book once had a congregate who had a brief affair, which he broke off. The guilt preyed on his mind. One day seeking relief, he confessed to him and asked him what to do. He asked whether he considered telling his wife or did he doubt that she would forgive him. He thought she would be angry, but truly believed she would forgive. However, he feared that once she knew their relationship would never be as whole and as trusting again. Here, The man who wrote the book explained to him the rabbinic concept of Yom Kippur. In the fantasy of perfection, once a flaw or break is discovered, things will never be perfect again. In the Arthurian epic of the Holy Grail, which I find hilarious that they're kind of talking about this in this Jewish book, only Galahad could find the talisman because he was pure and faultless. Lancelot could not bring in the cup of salvation because he had sinned with Guinevere and had stained his sword with blood. In the rabbi's view, this is a superhuman, therefore inhuman, conception of redemption. Yom Kippur teaches that humans inevitably fail or sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says there is no righteous person on the earth who does only good and never sins. But when people turn, they come out stronger. In a relationship between two people, love based on the assumption of perfection on both sides is vulnerable to the almost inevitable crack in the mirror. Each person probably falsifies the other's image to avoid reality. Once flaws are acknowledged and accepted, love becomes genuinely unconditional. It may be tested by inescapable failures, but it overcomes and becomes truly whole. Now, I was talking about how I was going to tell you kind of a little bit of a story. Well, earlier today, my husband and I, you ever have a day where you are just, I don't want to say grumpy, but maybe angry at the world and you don't know why you're angry at the world. Well, unfortunately for my husband, that happened to be today for him. I'm not going to say I definitely have had those days myself because it is true. And trying to work through the problem and the process and understanding why he was so upset and um, understanding what my role had to do with it and our children's role had had, you know, what played a part in it. And it's just acknowledging that we're not perfect, right? None of us is perfect and we all fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't mean we can't strive towards that perfection, but it does mean that we need to acknowledge that we're not perfect and then we need to be okay with it. Now, I'm not saying it's okay to just go off and do whatever you want because that's not really God's heart for us, is it? His heart is for us to glorify him, be in communion with him. But if we choose to live as sinners and do so knowingly, we cannot be in his presence. So what we choose to do is we strive for perfection, knowing that we'll never actually get there. But in the hopes that choosing to live as closely as we possibly can, as the same way as Yeshua lived, gives us the momentary glimpses of our Heavenly Father. Hopefully that made sense. Rabbinic tradition claims that Moses broke the tablets of the Ten Commandments on the 10th of Tishri, that is, on Yom Kippur. The original tablets of the Ten Commandments were fashioned by the divine, untouched by human flaws, but when the people of Israel sinned and created a golden calf, God despaired and wanted to get rid of them. Moses was so distressed that he smashed the tablets. It was almost as if the tablets were too pure to be left in human hands. Then came 40 days of working through the heartbreak. Reconciliation and catharsis were followed by 40 days of Moses' labor fashioning new tablets. This set of tablets, the product of hard-won repentance, built on realism, forgiveness, and acceptance of others' limitations, would guide the Israelites for centuries to come. Such tablets express the spirit of Yom Kippur when out of our brokenness we become stronger than when we claimed to be whole. And that, I think, is, is a really powerful representation of how God does want us to be. Now, on the other hand, not even the other hand, I'm going to read you a little bit of my my favorite book, you know, the one that I read all the time about the celebrating or signing the festivals, talking about atonement. It says, many observant Jews do their best to ensure their atonement during the days of awe and especially on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. Scripture, however, tells us that we cannot earn our own atonement. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law, the Torah. Why is there a need for atonement? In James 2.10 it says, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. That's Romans 3, 9 through 10. I apologize. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. 1 John 1:10. 1, For whoever keeps the whole law, the Torah, and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. James 2:10. If the price of sin is death, is there any hope? Romans 6:23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Yeshua HaMashiach, our Lord. How is Yeshua a perfect atonement sacrifice? Hebrews 210 10-17, a bridge says, It was fitting that God should make the author of their salvation, Yeshua, perfect through suffering. He shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is HaSatan and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Romans 3, 25, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Yeshua HaMashiach. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. What is the only way to be right with God? Paul, or Shaul, tells us that to be right with God, we first must confess Yeshua as Lord. Romans 10:1 through 13 abridged. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Hamashiach is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. For if you confess with your mouth, Yeshua is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then you have people saying maybe Yeshua wasn't actually Hamashiach, the Christ. But if you say this, you are wrong, dead wrong. 1 John 2 20 to, 22 to 25. Who is a liar? It is the man who de- denies that Yeshua is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and a Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. But why are we not held accountable for our sins? Because in Yeshua, all sin is forgiven. He is that scapegoat that you read about in Leviticus 16. 1 John 2, 3, 6, 12, and 17. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Yeshua did. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. The world and its desires pass away but the man who does the will of god lives forever yes it is yeshua who is our atonement sacrifice his death paid in full the price of our sins those who believe in him have god's guarantee of eternal life with him i pray that what i had to say today made some form of sense. I apologize that it wasn't quite like my one from last year, but I wanted to do something different. I don't want to do the same thing every single year for each feast, um, where I simply just go over, this is what we do on Yom Kippur. But I also want to kind of give you different angles, different perspectives, different um, ideas and thoughts on what it is that we are told to do during these feasts. And you know, thoughts on why we do what we do and why we believe what we do. I think it's pretty clear based on even what I read, even from a h- hilar- you know not hilariously, but I mean amazingly, from even the Jewish perspective, it's clear that Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life. And then if you don't see him in Yom Kippur, you're missing something. He's in every single one of these feasts, and just as we I've said before, you know, he's fulfilled the, the spring feast, and he is going to be fulfilling and is in the process of fulfilling the fall feast. And I just pray that you would take the time to read the Torah portion definitely this week, but also read Leviticus 16 and learn a a little bit more about what Yom Kippur is about and what we are commanded to do. And remember that not all traditions are bad, but not all of them are good either. So I would pray that you would use the discernment that God gives you to have the spiritual maturity to know, is this a good tradition or is this a bad tradition? Is this something that's that lines up with the, with the biblical principles or is this something that's kind of out in left field? And I just pray that you would take the time to do some introspection and even pray and ask, God, is there something that I am missing? Is there something I need to atone for, that I need to repent for? Because sometimes I think we get in this, kind of rut where we say, oh, Lord, just forgive me for what I've done today, whether I know of it or I don't. But it's like, you know, that's not really a growing experience. I think it's really best if you try to have a real conversation with our creator and say, hey, Lord, what is it that I need to work on myself? I don't want to put my focus on anyone else. I want to focus on myself and say, Lord, what is it that I can do to further glorify your name? And in doing so, be able to be in community with you and like-minded believers as i do every single week i'm going to leave you with the ironic benediction you can find us in numbers chapter 6 verses 24 to 26. <laughs> Shalom. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make a space to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Hashem Yeshua sa shalom in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. May you have a blessed week. I hope that you would observe Yom Kippur. We also observed the night before Kol Nidre, and that means all all vows. And I would just Google that if you want more information on that. Maybe if I I get some messages asking for more of an explanation on that, I'll do an episode on it. But I pray that you would have a good rest of your week. Shavua Tov, and just be blessed. Seek forgiveness, give forgiveness, and love each other please feel free to message me at MessyMessianicMama.com or you can email me at ELMMM3 at ProtonMail.com. That's E is in Echo, L is in Lemur, M as in Mike, M is in Mike, M Mike, the number three at ProtonMail.com. You can also leave me a one-minute voicemail message on slash. Erica LaCasse and it should have a button right there to say leave a voice message. Remember to keep it short and sweet if you have any questions or you just want to leave a nice little comment. I would love to hear from you.